Welcome back, Wildcat Faithful, to the Wildcat Radio Podcast. My name is Ronnie Stoffel, and as always, I'm joined by Mr. Adam Green. Adam, how you doing, man? Good, good. Just trying to get through the summer. It got really hot all of a sudden, but hey, football season's what, less than two weeks away? Yes, like, y- yes, mid, mid-August mid here, and you always forget, it always sneaks up on us. As a matter of fact, Phoenix, I know we're both in Phoenix, uh, I had read that May was the coolest May on average since 1980, which kind of blows my mind. But it did feel like a pretty mild start to summer. But to your point, I mean, we are way past that now. It seems like a very distant memory. And no matter how much we want to forget or reject the idea that summer is going to show up, (laughs) it always shows up. And here we are. That's the beauty of being in Arizona for, what, eight months of the year. You just laugh at everyone else for their weather. And then for the other four months, maybe even three and a half months or so, all you do is complain from inside because going outside equals death. Even even the pool, we're getting to the point where even the pool is like, ah, it's a little too warm. I mean, <laughs> we're we're getting what like the lows are like eighty nine. It's like yeah. yeah, it doesn't really have that much time for the pool to close uh, to cool it down anyway. No so fun, but yeah, football season's coming soon. It's I'm excited. We are less than two weeks away, and of course, we will touch base more on football here shortly. Um, Adam, I, I'm I'm very excited. Of course, you know the week minus one, as Coach Kevin someone said. Uh, but I, I think you know we'll get into Hawaii, NAU, Texas Tech, the rest of those. Um, you had a an article released on AZ AZ Desert Swarm, which was your season prediction uh, for the 2019 U of A football team. We will touch base on that, and we will kind of I think towards the end here go you know line by line um and i think i, I kind of have a hard-hitting question for you too that we'll get to in a little bit and it's it's related to our <laughs> <laughs> well I, I'll, I'll let you guys be the judge on that we will um it, it's going to be about our about our quarterback situation and you know is it legitimately a is is it a surefire shot that cool tate is going to be the guy should he be the guy we'll get into that as well adam before we go any further though and i forget let's go ahead and take care of a few housekeeping items here uh, wildcat radio podcast subscribe for free through itunes google play stitcher basically any podcast catcher be sure to follow the podcast as well on social media Twitter, our Twitter handle at Wildcat Radio AZ. Also check out our Facebook page, Wildcat Radio. While you're out there, go to our website, wildcatradioaz.com. That is the exclusive home of all of our written content, these podcasts, and Rob Bowron's beta ranks, which is super helpful. And now, you know, Rob's done a great job with the model, everything, tons of time in the offseason to analyze the different Pac-12 teams, especially Arizona. And all those numbers are going to be put to the test here shortly. So we're going to be very excited to follow that. Adam, uh, let's go ahead and jump into really just some some UA news uh, before we switch gears over to over to football. Brandon Williams. Let's start there and let's just get this out of the way. Uh, you know, we have talked about this. You know, there was some speculation out there. Uh, I, I think probably about a month or so ago. Now, maybe like six weeks ago. Who knows exactly? At least for several weeks, there's been some speculation out there that something was going on with Brandon Williams. 
news little leaks here and there may led led to believe that you know there was more of a knee injury than maybe you know what what was being led on um a lot of the offseason moves acquisitions if you will max hazard being one right uh, started making a little bit more sense uh when 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 the news came out that brandon williams will sit out this season. Uh, he is going to have surgery on that injured knee. He will miss the 2019-2020 season. Adam, you know, we talked theoretically what that would mean for this team. You know, this team is still loaded, right? Uh, but again, in theory, we talked about it. Now this is this is real life, right? There's no longer, as no longer theory is no longer a worse nightmare. Uh, or I guess, you know, depending on how you look at it, maybe it is a nightmare, now a living nightmare. Uh, Adam, what, what does this do exactly now that this is a reality for the 2019-2020 team? It's hard to say right now, I think, because there's so many questions about this upcoming team. You know, with the guys that they're going to be relying on, Nico Mannion, Josh Green, like their backcourt, we don't know how good they are. And that's what it kind of comes down to here is like in Brandon Williams, you had someone who you knew could be a dynamic player who I would think with more talent around him would be really, really good. And that's what was exciting to see him with this upcoming roster. But without him, you're really just relying on some unproven players even more than you really wanted to. And, of course, your depth takes a hit where if you have an injury, you're in really trouble for your point guard situation. But more than anything, it's like I think Brandon Williams is one of those guys that we all have such a great appreciation for because he made it okay for a top-flight guy to go to Arizona. When he committed, that was such a recommitted, I guess that was such a big thing. And he played well last season. He wasn't great, but it was hard for anyone to be great on that team. There just wasn't enough there. And... You know, he dealt with those knee issues during the season. We saw how bad Arizona was without him. So that wasn't good. But, you know, there's still plenty of talent on this team. But it's certainly disappointing. It may not be a death knell for them, but it's certainly disappointing to not have Brandon Williams on the floor next season. It's, it's going to be tough to quantify his loss right now obviously i mean i guess you know if, if you were trying to quantify it somehow right you would look to you, you look at last year's numbers and simply say you know well yes he was the team's leading scorer last year again albeit not on the best team that, that we've seen in in the sean miller era um but but nonetheless he was the leading scorer on a team as a true freshman the only u of a the leading returning scorer i think right because brandon randolph That's also right. a guy who's gone is well i mean <laughs> we all know brandon williams was a better player so definitely yes yes, yes. Even scoring he was certainly the most important player the most dynamic player they had last season thank you for clarifying yes very much that's very much true uh brandon ran randolph you know obviously was not coming back right that, that was very clear brandon williams um obviously the best player that we had, right? I mean, now, now the argument could be made for chase Jeter. That's fine. And chase Jeter uh, was not too far behind him. I mean, what, like a half a point per game less uh, on average, you know, very near the 11 point mark, Brandon Williams, just over the 11 point mark. Um, But, but, but as far as, you know, true value, I guess, just, overall upside. I mean, I think you also have to work into the equation, you know, who's, who's, who's more likely to, to, to make it to the league. Right. And then maybe stay there too. I mean, obviously everything points to Brandon Williams from that aspect. And, and I mean, at times, you know, obviously, you know, his shooting was documented, right? Like he wasn't, the best perimeter shooter. And that's something that this team uh, has been missing over the last few years is perimeter shooting. But, but no, you know, nonetheless, if you take that out, I mean, he was a very solid defender, very, very competent and and talented ball handler mm-hmm. knew how to get to the basket, knew how to draw contact when getting the basket, getting the, then getting to the free throw line. Um, 
it's going to be tough to see. I mean, again, it, it may be somewhat overshadowed, swept under the rug, just because this team is going to be, I mean, so loaded compared to what we saw last year that it may kind of feel like, you know what? It doesn't matter if he's out there or not because this team is leaps and bounds better. Um, I'm personally of the camp that, that this is going to catch up with us, especially just because it's we're in a situation where, I mean, this is college basketball, right? In college basketball, the, the strong guard play is just so important. Mm-hmm. We'll see when the season gets going. I, I, I guess, you know, I, I, I'm a little pessimistic of the whole thing. It doesn't sound like you're, you're too far out there yet. I mean, I'm certainly not willing to mail it in and, you know, say, oh, crap, you know, like season's over, whatever. Wouldn't be shocked if this team still, uh, you know, makes it to a Final Four. I mean, I'm sure a lot of, a lot of fans just <laughs> cringed right there. But, you know, I would not be surprised if that were to still happen. It, I just it, it feels just a little less likely given now that we only have 10, 10 scholarship players that will be available next season makes it tough well that's the thing Arizona's a worse team without Brandon Williams than they are with it and even last season he wasn't great but he wasn't the issue with the team when Brandon was when he was on the floor last year Arizona was better for it and I was looking forward to seeing him play with a point guard like Nico Mannion with wings like Josh Green with a healthy Chase Jeter just with all that depth on that team seemed like Brandon Williams could have been perfect and to your point where this could be problematic especially is if there's injuries and we all know Arizona has great luck when it comes to injuries, so it probably won't be an issue. But if there is an issue somewhere, if there is an injury, if Mannion misses time or gets into foul trouble or just anything like that, this team's depth is almost non-existent, especially when it comes to point guards. So as of this exact moment, it's like, okay, Arizona can probably make up for this loss. But there are going to be gains. There are going to be times throughout the season where having another ball handler, having another guy who could play point guard, having a player like Brandon Williams who could get to the bucket, who could get to the free throw line, will come in handy. So I think Arizona, if you were thinking Final Four before the season, I don't think this means they don't have a chance at that. But now it's just their margin for error is that much more thin. It's that much smaller because you need Nico Mannion to be really good. You need Josh Green to be really good. You, know, you need Najee to be really good. Like You can't afford to have... Um, be freshman this season. You need Dylan Smith to find consistency. You need Dutrieff to take a step forward. Like These are all things that, if you have Brandon Williams because you know what he can do, they weren't as important. Like You wanted them to happen. If they happen, Arizona would be better for it. But now Arizona needs those things to happen, and they might. We could be talking a year from now about how Mannion was the best player in college basketball, ended up being a top-five NBA draft pick. Josh Green's in the lottery, too, and they led Arizona to the Final Four because they were just that good. But if they're not then Arizona's ceiling is certainly lower without Brandon Williams because, again, we knew what he was, or at least we knew what he could do on a bad team, and I think he would have been even better on a good team. I want to put on our conspiracy theory hats here just for one second. Do it. And and if we think back to when the news started to leak out, you know, that there were whispers that something was going on with Brandon Williams, and we'll probably have to fact check this in terms of like a Twitter timeline or something. Um, but 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 as far as, you know, Devonair Dutrieve kind of being wishy-washy with his decision to transfer, it kind of makes me wonder if you know there there was obviously truth to that leak right i mean there's nothing you could say now like he's not playing this year and the reason he's not playing is because he has to have surgery because he's got a bum knee right so there's obviously truth to that it just wasn't supposed to come out when it leaked um but around the time it leaked that was also around the time if memory serves that devonair dutrieve you know pulled that yeah i'm not i'm not transferring sorry for the confusion guys i'm gonna stay put it kind of makes me wonder if this was a situation where devonair dutrieve 
who is who is by all means a guard, right? I mean, he's one hundred percent. I mean, I mean, soaking wet, he's probably not even one hundred ninety pounds. But I mean, he's just <laughs> a, a, a good, good, good frame, I guess, right? Like good length. He was six five. They have him listed fine. Um, but I mean, you probably think of him more as you know maybe like a bigger, bigger guy down low because he was very good at, at crashing the boards at times. But um, you know, this now plays into a situation where. Hey, guess what? There's some backcourt minutes that just freed up. And, you know, we obviously thought that, you know, Alex Barcelo, I don't know. It kind of also makes you think what what was going on with Alex Barcelo. If they just told him like, hey, Barcelo, you know, like you're not progressing as you wanted. Get out of here. Didn't hear Retrieve knew that Barcelo was also going to transfer and there was going to be all this all this time there for him. Stay put. What do you make of that? I, I think the extent that the coaching staff knew what was going on. Mm-hmm. Like they they had to know Brandon Williams. He finished the season last season. He came back, but they had to know something was up, which is why you go out and get a Max Hazard. You make that a priority, and it wouldn't shock me if that played into their conversations with Dutrie. Even I would think even Barcelo, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. Like that kind of bring. I didn't even think of that, but like Barcelo transferring. It's like if he knew that Williams was going to miss the season, why would like they need a backup point guard? It's you, right? <laughs> Unless the coaches are like. Still, you know what? Well, we'd rather give those minutes to Hazard at the backup one. Yeah. And Dutrieve's going to be the first guard off the bench or Dylan Smith or whatever. And Barcelo's like, okay, I just need to go somewhere where I can play, which is fine. I know we talked about him transferring. Wish him luck. All the luck in the world. Absolutely. Like a good kid mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. tried really hard when he was in Tucson. But I think if you're trying to be optimistic, and there's plenty of reason to still be optimistic about the Wildcats going into the season, but it's that this news didn't catch the coaching set, coaching staff by surprise. Mm-hmm. There's only so much they can do with recruiting, of course. There's only so many guys they can go get. But they had to know that this was a distinct possibility, and they planned for it as best they could. That's why you get a Max Hazard, who's kind of – he's more of a two-guard than a one, but he could probably play the one a little bit in a pinch. You know, he'll give you five minutes, seven minutes as a point guard for you if you need to take Manion off the ball or what have you. So I would hope that factored into Dutrieve's decision. Also, I would hope that Dutrieve was thinking, you know what, I should have stayed at Arizona. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know we were all really excited about his potential and whether he reaches it this next season or starts to reach it as a sophomore, we'll see. But certainly you have to feel, like you have to imagine that the coaching staff was pretty clear with everybody that this was a possibility. Maybe that's saying Brennan's not going to play this season, but you say like there's going to be minutes for you. You know, if you if you play hard, if you practice well and you play well, then you're going to find some time on the court because, yeah, that's, 30-something minutes a game now that they're going to have to fill. And they have plenty of freshmen who can help with that, but it's really good to have other guys just in case there's an injury or someone has an off-shooting night or foul trouble. And that's where that depth, you talk about the 10 scholarship players, that's where it'll really start to get tested. But it does seem as though the coaching staff prepared for this as best they could. The only thing I'll say, and I don't, I mean, no, I'm, I'm all about redshirt seniors, especially in the day and age of one-and-done situations. It just scares me to death that this now opens up a situation for Dylan Smith to inherit some of these minutes. <laughs> I just, I can't emotionally, after what we saw last year, you know, just, just the overall performance of the team, I can't emotionally be in a situation where this season means so much to us to have, to have it all hang in the balance of Dylan Smith's irrational decision-making on the court. I, 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 I'm already calling it out there. I, there are going to be some games where I may just have to temporarily shut it down and uh, read about it later if that becomes the case. But um, I think, I think Adam, that's where I'll rely on you to, to fill me in here. Well, but it all just I, comes I down to their roles going. though, right? Like if, yeah. if, if Nico Manion's as good as everyone thinks he is and he comes in and he's pac 12 player of the year type point guard, 
then Arizona has their point guard. They're fine. If Josh Green is as good as people think he is and just dynamic wing who plays defense, rebounds, can score the basketball, then their backcourt is fine. So a guy like Dylan Smith can be a guard off the bench, kind of your two to three, like your two or three, your small forward, your shooting guard off the bench, play some tough defense because he played decent defense last season. Yes. And if his shot is on, he could help you. And if it's not, maybe Dutrieves is. Like that's, it's just about having the options and – Again, like with the roster they have right now, if if no one gets hurt, everything's fine. Arizona has enough depth, and they have a pretty loaded roster still. Just yes. they were better, and they had more wiggle room with Brandon Williams because we know he can score. We know he can play point guard. We know he can play off the ball. Like He's just a proven commodity, a proven dynamic commodity. There's a reason why Arizona wanted him so bad, why Oregon really wanted him, why Gonzaga really wanted him. Like He's a really good talent, and I guess now the fear or the hope is that he plays again. Arizona went through this with Ray Smith with the knee issues. Now, granted, Ray Smith had, we saw the ACL injuries. Like, those were more, I guess, obvious than what Brandon Williams is dealing with. But he came back and then hurt it again and was done with basketball before his career could even really get going. And you mm-hmm. hope that's not the case for Brandon Williams, even just for his sake, because he's worked so hard to get there and to play one disappointing season. Again, he wasn't the issue with Arizona last season, but to not really have a chance to go play in the NCAA tournament, to be on a good top flight Arizona basketball team that's got to be heartbreaking for him so I guess the perfect world now is he sits out this season he gets right and he returns next season where Arizona's probably going to be in need of a point guard again it looks like so you know that's the if you want to play the the optimist card the supreme optimist card that's what it is he has the surgery he gets back and he's fine and Arizona now has their point guard for next season that maybe they would have had if Williams played this season. Maybe he's going to have to go pro, whatever. But at this point in time, like I think Arizona's fine right now. But you just kind of hope for Brandon Williams that this isn't the last of him as a basketball player. Last thing I want to touch on, actually, that brings up a really good point is this injury. You know, think, things have a things have an interesting way of working themselves out. You know, and and this very well just. This may be some sort of talent deferment that uh, inadvertently is happening here, right? Because if Brandon Williams, as you said, does come back, you know, just as good as he was last year, right? And and you would maybe even think, you know, another year under his belt, rehabbing, another off season that you would you would expect as you know as far as his talent and his just overall game is, you'd expect it to maybe level up a little bit. But you're really focusing more on his health, right? Because you know what he brings to the table. Mm-hmm. You're now in a situation where you have Brandon Williams, uh, Jamal Baker. And Jordan, Jordan Brown. Brown, yeah. I mean that that is a very strong foundation of inside outside guys. With a potentially now junior Devin Dutrieve. Yep. Maybe a senior Ira Lee. Like it, it would be a talented roster. Again, of course, they're going to add other players. They got uh, Terry coming in, right? The recruits. So it's yep. going to be more. So no, it's if you really, I mean, you, you can't focus on that season because obviously we haven't even started the 2019-2020 season. But if and that could be the silver lining if there is one but i mean right now it's just it's a dark storm cloud like it's a bummer mm-hmm. it's yep. not the type of news you want from i think one of everyone's favorite players who again like he was he dealt with the knee issues last season and arizona was certainly worse off without him and he when he came back he wasn't quite the same player we all saw that but the hope was that he'd get healthy and be the brandon Williams that everyone expected and everyone i think believes he can be because he showed those flashes and Maybe it just defers this, delays that for a season, and if that's the case, that's the best-case scenario. But as of right now, for Arizona basketball, they're probably okay. Mm-hmm. But for Brandon Williams, you hope he can get through this and return to the floor because he's such a dynamic talent, seems like a good kid. 
everyone, I think, liked him, practiced hard, and there were no issues with him that you heard about. So, But it's got to be disappointing for him, too. Sure. Like, as disappointed as we all are as fans and talkers and whatever, imagine mm-hmm. being Brandon Williams right now. It's So who yeah, knows how tough. bad it's going to be? How bad is it? It's a general knee injury, right, issue that he's had. Yes. So it's like you hope they can find a solution, but it doesn't. It doesn't sound good, but if there is any silver lining, it could be that if he gets right, Arizona's 2020-21 team looks that much more loaded. Yes, right, and, and I think that's also a very important message that all U of A fans uh, should get behind, right? This is, you know, we're, we're thinking of, as as fans, what the impact is to us emotionally. Um, I think it's good to keep in perspective of what this actually means for Brandon Williams, who by all accounts, uh, you know, stand-up kid and um, obviously uber-talented on the basketball court. So wishing him a speedy recovery, um, you know, as Ray Smith has been a great example of this, you know, uh, he's in the U of A family now, mm-hmm. you know, so he, uh, no matter what, will always be, will always be the support for you, Brandon. So wishing you a, uh, a speedy recovery and, um, you know, good, good luck for sure with the rehab. So Adam, let's go ahead and switch gears here and let, let's, let's get focused on football, right? We only have one more Saturday before there are no more Saturdays with college football, uh, for the rest of this year. Right. I mean, this is a uh, pretty exciting time yeah. of the year. But before we do, let's go ahead and take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, Adam. So jumping back into this and gearing up for college football right around the corner, of course, first game Saturday, August 24th, 7.30 p.m. Arizona time. Arizona travels to Hawaii to take on the Rainbow Warriors. Um, it should, should be you know, a nice little tune-up game, and we'll, we'll get into that preview here uh, a little bit more towards the end of the show. And then, of course, we'll take a deeper dive uh, next week uh, as we officially gear up for game week. Um, but, but Adam, I, 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 want, I, got, I got a question for you here, and this is more of the hard-hitting, threatening question I, I, I threw at you or threw the idea out there you earlier and this has more to do with just all the reports that that you know that you're reading that, that you're seeing these little clips here and there on twitter social media you know michael lev obviously doing an excellent job um covering covering uh, fall camp and everything down in tucson there seems to be this narrative that you know that cleo tate is the guy right i don't think anything's being disputed there for you know as far as who's the clear-cut number one guy um, but there seems to be this narrative that's developing that Grant Gannell and maybe even at times you could say Kevin Doyle, but I, you know, Kevin Doyle, um, it just doesn't necessarily, it, that doesn't really pass the smell test in my mind, but more, more so, uh, Grant Gannell is just having an awesome camp, right? Like there's just a lot of good stuff about his development, how quickly he's been able to get in his completion percentages up. Uh, he's stepping right in, taking it all on. Great. There seems to be a little bit of a narrative, though, beyond this that's suggesting that Khalil Tate does not have a complete control over the number one position. And in fact, 
And in fact, there, there may be some sort of, you know, short leash that's attached to him. And, you know, it, it, in the smallest little slip up may cause him to be pulled and Grant Gannell inserted. Um, uh, so obviously we know how well documented his, his health issues were, right? I mean, there's no denying that. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think that the bigger argument here is not necessarily, you know, like, well, if he's health, if he's not healthy, then Greg Gannell is going to go in. I think it's more about his decision making as a quarterback. And, and frankly, I mean, is he good enough to have a long enough leash to keep somebody as talented as Grant Gannell off the field? Where do you stand on this? I mean, am I looking too much into this? Because it kind of seems like that Quill Tate's talent and not necessarily involving health at all, but more his talent is being questioned. And that's, that's baffling to me. Like, I'm old enough to remember two years ago when he was great. <laughs> he played well to have people think of him as a Heisman Trophy candidate. And even last season, it was disappointing from what everyone was hoping and expecting. But it wasn't like he was bad. He wasn't a runner, but he improved as a passer through 26 touchdowns last season. He was picked off just eight times. Like, he had a good season. Not a great one, but a good season. But I think this is probably a case to Gunnell comes in highly touted. Everyone knows what he's supposed to be, and Noah Mazzoni's a big fan of his. That's how they brought him in. He was going to go to Texas A&M, I guess, and Arizona got him. He looks like a prototypical pocket passer, can move a little bit too. Seems like an outstanding prospect, and that's a good thing to have. You want quarterback depth just because of the injury issues. You'd rather have someone, no offense, but better than Rhett Rodriguez as your backup quarterback. Mm-hmm. You, know, not, you want someone who's more than just a caretaker. You want someone who could maybe win a game for you. And So I don't think that's a bad thing, but in terms of what kind of leash Khalil Tate should have, I, I he absolutely should be the starter, unquestioned right now. Does that mean he can go out there and play poorly and keep his spot on the field? No, but that shouldn't be the case for anybody. So to me, it's always like when they say the back in the NFL, the backup quarterback's always the most popular player on the team. Right. And Grant Gunnell's a shiny new toy who comes in highly touted, highly ranked. Everyone's been reading about him for at least a year now when it was rumored that he was going to choose Arizona. And if he's had a great camp, like it's been reported, that's Really good news. <laughs> That's not a bad thing. But if you're Khalil Tate, you want the pressure from that to help you play better. And by all accounts, he's taken steps forward being a leader, his game prep and all that. So if he plays poorly and they pull him for Gunnell, and Gunnell comes in and plays well, then you live with that. But I just, this idea that Khalil Tate, that he was really good runner two years ago, he was a better passer last season when he wasn't healthy enough to run. There's been more about that with how hurt he really was last season. I, I think he deserves every chance to be the guy. Does that mean if he throws one interception, he should be pulled? I don't think so, because he's proven what he can do to an extent on the field at the collegiate level in the Pac-12. Connell hasn't, and that's not to knock him. True freshman can come in and play well. Geez, hey, so he's going to be starting one from you know, game one this season. So it happens, but... I don't know. I just people have turned on Khalil Tate pretty fast, and maybe he goes out there, plays poorly, gets pulled, and Gunnell's the guy, kind of like when Nick Foles replaced Max, Matt Scott. But I wouldn't be expecting that to happen. I think Khalil Tate is in store for a good season. So I don't know. It's it's good talk though. But if Tate comes out and plays well, then that that shuts it all up. It's definitely a hot take, and and I'm I'm not subscribing to it. I mean, I I, I guess. I, I guess I can see, I guess I could understand the position of, you know, like last year, if you wanted to, 
if you want to remove the element of health, right, and you want to say, okay, well, once he kind of got past the the obvious ankle injury that was hampering his mobility, if you want to get past that, and you, know, you fast forward to like the the Oregon, the Colorado game, the ASU game, and you want to look and say, you know, like okay, even the BYU game, I guess, but that that was really more, you know, like schematically kind of yeah, screwed him up. Weird but, but, game. But but the BYU game, those other three that I mentioned, if you want to just focus on those four games as a passer and you want to just say like, OK, well, yeah, but he had this tendency of, you know, pushing the ball way too far down the field. You know, like he wasn't necessarily, you know, the, the, the progression wasn't necessarily there from the standpoint of, you know, like, uh, all right, you know, one, two, three. It was more of like, where's the deep guy bomb it? You know, like right. that, he definitely had a tendency of that. So I'll give somebody that in terms of decision making. But Jesus, man, like he, he's got a cannon and I would say, I would argue, I mean, I'll say good, not great, but, but good accuracy for those deep balls, you know? And so if, if you want to say like, okay, a year removed, you know, he's obviously studied the film. He's had plenty of time to digest, get healthy. Um, you know, all of this combined. I mean, the other thing too, it's, you know, like all of these nagging injuries, if, if you do want to harp on the fact that maybe he was a poor decision maker and, you know, like he was simply just forcing the ball too far down the field, just, just didn't. Um, just, just didn't know really to even take himself out of the game. Right. Because he was just like such a, he's just such a competitor and he looks at that as like a sign of weakness or something. You don't want to look at that type of stuff. Fine. You know, whatever, I guess. But, but in my mind, it all comes back to the health though. Right. Because why is he forcing the ball, you know, down the field? Right. Because he doesn't want to run the risk of re-injuring himself in terms of, you know, hanging in the pocket too long and waiting for the play more to develop or, or, or take off running or something. Right. Because if you think back to the Utah game, you know, like we thought going into the Utah game that, all right, sweet. Like he'd kind of turned the corner a little bit. And then in that first quarter, he got rolled up on by Chad Hansen. And it was mm-hmm. like, he couldn't even walk, you know? And it was like, all right, well, there goes the next two games. Uh, well, I guess current game. And then of course the UCLA game, then it was bye week. And then from there, you know, the rest is rest. Is, you know how, how it went, you, but how much do you think people are remembering the ASU game? And how could you forget that? But the fumble, the interception where he probably could have run for the first down. Like if, if he leads Arizona back and, God, if Barry Hill would have just not had that ball knocked out of his hands in the end zone, yeah, it shouldn't have come to that. Drive, how much does that change the perception of his season and what he did? Because now you're looking at it where he leads them to wins in three of their last four regular season games, maybe the bowl game too, we'll say. So four of their last five. Tate obviously was playing well against ASU. Uh, outside of two plays, the fumble, and there's always missed reads, and that's a known problem with him. He doesn't necessarily see the field that great, and hopefully that improves. It's going to need to. But for the most part, I think that's where... He's such a polarizing player, I think because of his style, because he was such a great runner and he hasn't proven himself as a passer quite yet to people. But if he leads Arizona to win against ASU and everybody's like, yeah, look at him, he's healthy now, look what he's doing, then I think the narrative, even for him and for Kevin Sumlin, is so different this offseason. But this is what happens in camp. You get the new freshman coming in. It's not like Gunnell is a low-tier prospect. He's a high-level prospect, so people are going to be intrigued by what he can do. So for Tate, he needs to understand that, and I would imagine he does. But by all accounts, and that's something we have to remember too, Tate, if I remember right, was never a great practice player. Like, that was part of his issue too. I know Nick Foles wasn't supposed to be a pretty a good practice player. Just once he put him you know, in a game, he was great. And so for Tate, maybe the things that happen, like he's at his best sometimes when the plays break down. He can show off the legs. He can show off the arm talent that he has. And in the structure of just certain plays, you don't necessarily see that. So there are things Khalil Tate can do that not many other quarterbacks can. And if he does those, 
then Arizona keeps him, and they're going to be much better than people think. And if he gets hurt or if he struggles, then ideally you have someone else you could turn to who could lead you to win. So I don't, I don't know if it's a knock on Tate to say people are intrigued by Gunnell and what he can do because, hey, if he's the guy, Arizona could have their starting quarterback for the next four seasons after this one, which would just be terrific if he redshirts this year, right? So, like, that's ideal. That's what you want. And if he's good enough to play as a true freshman, then – then really good analysis, evaluation by the coaching staff. Great job getting him, and now you have your guy. So, I don't know. It should definitely be Khalil Tate's job to lose. I, for one, just don't think he's going to lose it. I think that's a very good question on what if the ASU went the way that it obviously should have, right? Um, that, that it was like 99% certain uh, that the, the way that it was trending it should have happened, right? Um, I, I think that it's tough. Everybody, anybody wearing a U of A, anything on the sideline, on the field that day is to blame for that game. That, that was horrendous. That was a, a meltdown that should have never happened. That was a collapse like we'll never see again. Hopefully. I th- yeah, I, I would be, I mean, mark my words, guys. If this, if that happens again, I'm probably not watching any more games. Like that's, uh, I'll just do it like for that's me. Especially- that's enough. Yeah, in the span of of a season. Oh, God. But anyway, staying on track, um, I, I do think that that plays an important piece to this because that completely flips the script on how did last season go, right? Like, we, it was already, I mean, it was already in cement how it started, right? Oh, and two, then, right, they climb back to two, uh, to two and two, and then, you know, right, like, then they get back to what I, th- I think they're at three and three, and then they drop to three and five, right? Climb back to five and five, and then they drop to five and seven. That's where they end up. Had they won that ASU game, and then, I mean, just say they won the bowl game, right? Because that's some serious momentum. Tate's rolling at that point. Everyone's feeling good. Probably got matched up with, I don't know, maybe some group of five teams. Tate has a few weeks off to get even more healthy. Just just for the sake of argument, say they win the bowl game. Some lower-tier bowl game. It's probably safe to say they would have, but whatever. Say they did it. That's seven and five, right? That is the exact same finish that they had in 2017 when he had that electrifying season. But those last five games are completely different. Mm-hmm. In those last five games of 2017, he finished one and five, or excuse me, one and four. And then at the end of 2018, finished seven and five. But those last five games, they finished four and one. I mean, obviously that one loss was an inexcusable blowout to Washington State. Um, but but it, you know, kind of again, besides the point, I guess. But but I think that that kind of sets things up in this case, right? Because I think that his reaction to that loss and how he kind of threw it out there, you know, like, hey, I, you know what? Yeah, yeah, I'm graduating in May. Yeah, I, I haven't given much thought of what I'm going to do next year. I think that a lot of that, and, and this is where I will have to agree with some of the uh, some of the some of the detractors of Coil Tate, is that you know the way he handled himself in that sense was very immature. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'll give him that. There's no two ways about that. And it was kind of toying with the hearts of all the fans, right? Because he knows that he's a very important piece to the fan base and to the team, frankly. I mean, he is. If he leaves, I mean, that's that's that would have been terrible news for this team. Grant Gunnell would have been forced right in, not saying that he couldn't have handled it or, you know, we wouldn't have been competitive, but it's just you feel a lot better with Quill Tate there, right? Yeah. Um, so, 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 so I think that, I mean, the point I'm trying to make is basically this. The way he, the way that the collapse happened just stung everybody. The way that he, he handled his future oh, and, and the potential for leaving as a grad transfer really just stung people as well. And now here we are with Grant Gannell coming in, playing as advertised as what we thought would be. Uh, Grant Gannell being, you know, Noel Mazzoni and Kevin Sumlin's guy who would have gone to Texas A&M if he was still there. Um, 
I think I think it makes for interesting talking points, but I think that this notion of like, no, no, Quill Tate is, you know, he's not that good and he should be on a short leash. I mean, that in my mind is just asinine. Like, if you want to tell me he's not a great leader and the way he handles himself is maybe not the best, then, okay, I mean, I can see your point. I mean, I, I disagree. I mean, that's fine. But, I, I, I mean, I would say, like, I mean, he's a kid, right? I mean, he, he, he has to know to hold himself to a strong or a higher standard than that. But I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm certainly not subscribing to this idea that, that he's not as good as we think he is because we know what he's capable of, and it's, yeah. it's amazing. Well, the hope is that as a senior, he'll be even better than he has been. He'll be He'll know when to run and maybe to take fewer hits, and he'll be a more accurate passer. But, like, what happened last year happened, right? He got hurt. The games they lost, the collapse against ASU happened. You can't ignore that. But had that collapse not happened, I know we'd all be a lot happier as people. But had had Arizona beaten ASU and then gone and won their bowl game, then the narrative about Khalil Tate is more likely how he struggled with the injury, struggled learning the playbook, but by the end of the season it all started to click for him. And look what kind of player he was once that happened. Instead, it's he's got a lot to prove. And I understand why people want him to prove it to them. I, I get that because we've never seen Khalil Tate be anything more than, I think he was a pretty good passer last season, but he was at his best when he was running. And he wasn't a great passer that season. He was fine for a guy who ran the way he did. So he still has something to prove. And it, by all accounts, he took the mentality that he understands that this season. Like, every report I've read, I mean, I've read some that maybe he wasn't having good practices or wasn't throwing the ball well in the scrimmages, but his mentality has seemed to be so much better. And maybe it's just off-season speak that happens for everybody. He's like, oh, yeah, that guy just dedicated to the game now and best camp, best off-season he's had. Like, maybe that's what it is. It's just speak, It's just talk. But if it's true, if he has taken more of a leadership role and he has taken the role of being the starting quarterback even more seriously, then you have to think that he deserves every chance to show what that improvement looks like on the field. And he is the starting quarterback, and he should have a fairly long leash. At the same time, if he plays poorly against Hawaii, if he's struggling, not seeing the field, making bad reads, throwing bad footballs, bad passes, then if you feel like an L could be better, then you have to make that move. And of course, I know what he can play in, what, four games and still register? Yes. Yep. So you can have that kind of luxury in certain games, but you absolutely hope you don't need it because it's hard to imagine Arizona being better with Gunnell at quarterback than they would be with Khalil Tate. I just think the best version of this team is with Khalil Tate because we saw what he could do two years ago. He carried this team to a bowl game, and they were going to beat ASU before he got hurt. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yep. it's... He is capable of being a dynamic quarterback. The guy who was on the Sports Illustrated cover, the regional one, the guy who was in Heisman Tuck, like, that guy is still there. Just as a senior, you'd have to think he'll be the best version of him. And the best version of him makes the best version of the Arizona Wildcats. Yes, I, I, I agree. And I really hope there's no truth to this idea that, that he's going to be on a short leash. I, I, th- I think the one good piece, and you alluded to it there, was the rule change to the red shirt. Um, is that, you know, Grant Cannell can play in four games and I'm pretty sure it's, you know, he could start four games, play all four games and be pulled and still preserve the red shirt. I don't think that there's a, uh, like, like, like a percentage of, of plays, uh, or a percentage of snaps played or something like it used to be. I think it's much more straightforward, much, much cleaner. It's just, if you play in four games, doesn't matter how much how little that counts and uh, anything beyond that would use up a year of eligibility. So, um, you know, I guess I'm fine. Right. I mean, of course I understand that there would be some situations uh, where it would make sense maybe to pull him, right. If he just doesn't have it. Uh, I think a great example would be Hawaii and, and we'll get into this here in a few minutes, but yeah, if there's a situation where, yeah, it's just not working, 
and we are maybe looking like we're going to lose to Hawaii on opening weekend. Yeah, I, we figure something out and put somebody in there that can win because we can't lose that game. Yeah, so it's not a bad thing if Grinnell's ready to play this season. No, it's not. <laughs> and that's I think you want a deep quarterback room in a perfect world. And if Arizona had a better backup quarterback last season, I think it sounds like I'm just trashing Rhett Rod. Like he played admirably against UCLA, and they had a chance to win that game. But if you have a healthy Khalil Tate, or even probably the still injured Khalil Tate, they beat UCLA, and if everything goes the way it did, they're in a bowl game. Right? Yeah. It's like you hope to have more depth there. Arizona hasn't had two capable winning quarterbacks in a while. So it's not a bad thing if Gunnell, as a true freshman, picked up the offense and is accurate and every bit as good as Arizona was hoping he'd be. Like, that's a great thing. And if it pushes Tate to be better, terrific. And if it means that he can replace Tate if necessary, that's fine, too. So it's not a bad thing to have a good, true freshman backup quarterback for a variety of reasons. But, I don't know, I, there's just, I don't know if I've, remember too many players as polarizing as Tate is. And I understand a lot of it, but at the same time, it seems like to some degree people have forgotten just how much of a game changer he can be. Mm, yeah, I 100% agree with that. And, and, and hopefully he can remind us this year because we, I, I think everybody could use a good reminder. It'd be very refreshing to see that. So, all right. Um, all right. All right, Adam, let's go ahead and uh, do a slight pivot here into the season prediction, right? So each of us had posted our season predictions to AZ Desert Swarm. Let's jump into those in just one sec. Uh, Before we do, let's take another quick break to hear from another sponsor. All right, Adam. So season predictions, right? Um, you had posted yours uh, a little bit later a than the rest belated. of the group, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but nevertheless, it is you had posted it to AZ Desert Swarm. Uh, let's go ahead and jump into those. Um, Adam, actually, you, you know what? Quick audible on that. Let me let me start with this question before we go through and and uh, recite what would we had read there uh, or or written there and of course then we'll have the ability to amend anything if we if we deem necessary. But um, I'm going to start with this. Uh, what would be considered a good season for Arizona? I think a bowl game with a win over ASU would be perfectly acceptable for everybody. Um, especially if you believe that there's more talent on the way. If you believe Gunnell is your quarterback of the future, then you feel good about next season. Like you want to see that progress. And I kind of go back to last year's team wasn't as bad as people think. They were a couple plays away from being a seven win football team. So it's yeah. not, it's not mm-hmm. like they were an absolute train wreck last season, but I would think to me, you have to make a bowl game. Can't go another season without a bowl game, especially with a senior quarterback and JJ Taylor. Like you have enough talent to make a bowl. You should at least win six games, but mm-hmm. You do. You make a bowl game. You beat ASU. To me, I'll take that. But of course, the way the schedule sets up, the season would look re- could look really wonky by the time it's over with. So, would you take six and six and a loss to ASU? Th- those aren't mutually exclusive, right? Like you, you, you're simply saying it sounds like a bowl game would solidify a good year, and a win over ASU would just be gravy on the biscuit. Is that? Am I interpreting that correctly? Uh, Oh, man, that's a tough one, actually, because six and six is so mediocre. I mean, it's the definition of mediocrity. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's hard to say that I'd be happy with six and six with a loss to ASU. Okay. But it's it's hard to say because it kind of depends on how it happens, right? Like if Arizona just suffers just all these debilitating injuries before the ASU game, like Utah just destroys them, Tate's hurt, Taylor's hurt. 
every receiver that we think is going to be good. Jalen Harris misses a game. It's like, well, then you kind of expect a loss there. So, But just numbers-wise, I guess, when I take 6-6 six and six with a loss to ASU, I wouldn't be happy with that. I'd be like, yeah, okay, fine. It ha- the season happened. Great. But I wouldn't be crowing about that. I wouldn't be going, yeah, great job, Arizona. Great job, someone in staff, if that happened. Which, I guess you beat ASU. Now you have your seventh win, and now I'm happy. That would be good, and especially to yeah no, and and I I was just I wanted to clarify that I'm actually of the camp that where they are mutually exclusive. Like in order to have a good season, I think you have to make a bowl game and beat ASU. And the reason for the ASU caveat there is because we should really have a three-game winning streak against ASU. Yes. Um, you know, two years ago, as you mentioned earlier, Quill Tate didn't get hurt in that, at at halftime or the, like the play leading into halftime. Uh, I, I'm fairly confident that, that we would have hung on taking care of business. Hey, if the uh, refs don't call that, you know, BS block in the back on the punt return for a touchdown, uh, maybe Sean <laughs> Brown. I mean, who knows? But I mean, yeah, I, I guess the, the collapse was already on at that point, but I mean, it, it's very hard for me to believe that if Quill Tate stayed in that game and was healthy. Um, and I hate that this is turning into a narrative, you know, if he was healthy, uh, but, but unfortunately that's what had happened. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very hard for me to believe that, that we'd have lost that game. Now, fast forward a year, you know, to what we just witnessed the last game that we witnessed of this team, uh, that game should not have gone, should not, that should not have been the outcome, right? The, no. Obviously everyone knows, everyone knows don't need it. to spend, don't, we don't need to spend even the ASU fans. We should not, that should not have been the outcome. We don't need to spend much more time on that. No, they the talk about Arizona blew a 19 point lead, not about how they overcame a 19 point deficit. Everyone no, knows Arizona should have won that game. It's just, it, it goes back to what I said at the time. It's the exact same thing as the Falcons and the Patriots. The Falcons choked that away. Yes, the Patriots came back, and yes, they did everything right that they needed to do right. Um, but that also includes the other side of the coin, which is the Falcons doing everything wrong that they had to do wrong in order for the Patriots to get back in. So, yes, fast forward to this year. Yes, we need to take care of ASU. It sucks that that game is in Tempe, but you know what? This game's always a toss-up. It really doesn't matter, in my opinion, right? It it doesn't matter, home team, whatever. The the team at 10-2 and two versus the team that's 2-10, and 10, the team at 2-10 and 10 has just as much of a chance of beating the other team, right? Like, it's just it's kind of how it goes. Um, I am definitely in the camp where I would be upset, though, um, you know, a, a bowl, a bowl game basically has this variance of outcome of six and six to 12 and zero, right? So you're talking yeah. about a six game variance here of outcomes. And I, I, I would personally be disappointed with a six and six team, a six and six season, especially, um, I, I mean, I guess if that even included the win at ASU, I mean, I guess the only thing that would make that sweet was we were five and six going into the game. So we needed to beat ASU to get into a bowl game. So, I mean, that that would maybe at that point make things a little better. Um, but, you know, to go five and six up to that point would be pretty disappointing, I think, especially I'll tell you though, right now, I'm going to stop game. you. If Arizona mm-hmm. goes six and six and one of those sixes that went over ASU, you're going to be pleased with the season. I think I would have to be at that point just because it's the last it's the last it's the last game. I'll tell you right now, I wouldn't like it. Right. Like I would have knots in my stomach the entire week. Excuse me, the entire week leading up to it, just knowing that, oh, gosh, here we are again. (laughs) Just like last year, we needed the win. (laughs) You know, just everything leading up to it would be. um, Yeah, it makes it it makes for a little upset tummy. But uh, yeah, you're right. Ultimately, at the end of the day, at the end of the season, six and six of the win over ASU gets to a bowl game. That's really all we're after here. It doesn't make it a success necessarily, but it makes it okay. Makes it okay. Yeah, I mean, I think it 
I mean, I guess you can say it makes a, it was a good season, right? I guess it right? like that season. Not- you wouldn't you wouldn't remember it as fondly as some seasons, but you'd be fine with it, especially having those bragging rights. Because to your point, and I imagine some ASU fans would disagree, but it certainly feels like Arizona should have a few more wins over ASU than it does in recent history. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. So, Adam, let's let's go ahead and the next step here. Right. Of when we're actually analyzing the schedule now, not just talking, you know, high level. What could the outcomes be looking at the schedule? I want you to list out three scenarios. I want the worst case scenario, the most likely scenario and the best case scenario in terms of wins and losses. And we don't necessarily have to walk through and say, you know, for each scenario, who the okay. wins would be, who the losses would be. But what do you see after analyzing this schedule? Because I know you have because you wrote about it. So mm-hmm. you had to have run these scenarios. Yeah, well, I guess, you know, I, I have them at seven and five. Four or five in the pack. That's kind of like my most likely scenario. That's where I have Arizona. But I guess worst case scenario, they lose to Texas Tech. They lose to UCLA or Colorado. Instead of starting off five and zero like I have them, they start off three and two, two and three. Um, you and you lose to ASU, so take off three wins. I think probably in your worst case scenario is probably a four and eight team mm-hmm. because you should beat Hawaii, you should beat NAU. It's hard to imagine them losing to Oregon State. No, um, so I guess maybe worst case scenario is a three and nine season. You just beat Hawaii, NAU, and Oregon State. Like, that's absolute worst-case scenario, uh, I think. That's sickening. That's sickening. What makes that so sickening is we're really not that far removed from the last 3-9 and nine season. But that one ended okay. It ended. It did. It did. It did. It ended on a strong note. Without a pass being thrown for the final 30 minutes of football. But, <laughs> but that, to me, is the worst-case scenario. Because, and then, of course, the best case is, I don't know, I got my 7-5 and five regular... You beat Utah at home, so now you have eight wins, and maybe you steal. I, I think eight wins is probably the best case scenario for this team, eight and four, because even the games, I don't see them beating Washington. It's hard to see them going to USC and winning that game, or Stanford winning that one, or going into Autzen, even though I know they beat Oregon last season and they've won there before, but. I could maybe give them Utah at home along with Hawaii, NAU, Texas Tech, UCLA, Colorado, Oregon State, and ASU. I'll tell you right now, if, if eight and four happened, I will be, whew, that, that would be amazing, be especially against some that. of those big, that'd be great. Um, so Adam, I actually somewhat laid this out in my response to the round table. Um, my, my scenarios, I also chose seven and five, but I had a different path to seven and five. Um, I actually had us losing to Texas tech and, and us beating Utah. And I think we had some other, you know, uh, offsetting ones that both got us seven and five, but, but basically the the difference being is my, my extra, my, my one loss came in non-conference and then I picked up a win in conference play, putting us at five and four in conference play. So, um, but as far as, you know, worst and best case scenarios, I definitely, I definitely see a scenario where it's four and eight. Um, the, the worst case to me makes a lot of sense for Hawaii, NAU, and Oregon State. So those same three. Um, 
I I don't think that we're going to lose to Colorado. I think Colorado is in really just in a weird spot. I know they started out like gangbusters last year. Chenault got hurt and that really derailed a lot of things, but there was a lot of things going on where, you know, and, and maybe, maybe a lot of it had to do with Mike McIntyre and his, his time finally just came to an end and everybody was just tired of it. Um, I know Steven Montez is back. Chenault's back. Right. Um, I just, I, I just question, you know, with the coaching change first year, you mean, we know what a first year can be like for a new coaching regime. I just don't see that one being a loss. Now, if you want to argue it is, uh, I'll, I'll throw this one at you. I don't believe that we're going to lose in consecutive weeks to UCLA and Colorado. I know Colorado's right. on the road. That makes it tough, but I just see us winning one of those two games, right? So that makes it four and eight. That, that stretch of three games, Texas Tech, UCLA, and Colorado, those are all kind of toss-up games where if Arizona wins them, their season takes a whole different track. Like really, that, That's kind of how really, I see it. Really, each of those games can dramatically change the outcome. And then especially too, with just conference play and the shuffling that happens because two of them are conference games, right? Uh, so, I mean, if, if you are going to, I mean, obviously if you start out five and zero as you have, I mean, that's tremendous, right? Because now, now you're going to beat Oregon state. <laughs> I mean, something <laughs> catastrophic has to happen in, in order for us to lose to Oregon state. So uh, you're going to beat Oregon state and there's your sixth win. Yeah. You've, you've solidified bull eligibility. That's great. Um, I, you know, so, so say, so say you lose though, one, just so say you go four and one, you're still in pretty good position, right? doesn't necessarily uh-huh. matter who, but I mean, just, just say, just say the one loss is to Texas tech and you preserve, you know, the perfect record in conference play to start. Um, say you go three and two, right? Like that now starts to feel a little dicey because now you start playing the name game and it's like, yep, Oregon state. So there's your fourth win. Where are the other two coming from? Say, Cause you know, the back half of the schedule is, it looks like a, it looks like a bear. <laughs> not pretty. It's no. not pretty. And, and, and actually then, so let's just jump into, so I, I actually thought that nine and three was the ceiling. Now wow. I, I, I do want to amend that here because I do think eight and four seems like the most likely ceiling. Um, I obviously, so five and zero to start, right? So now we're only looking for four more games against Washington at USC at Stanford or Oregon state. So, I mean, there's six wins, right? So really it's coming down to, you have six, uh, six wins with six opponents to go, and you're looking for two wins in that. So you're really asking, can you get two wins against Washington, at USC, at Stanford, at Oregon, Utah, on senior night, or at ASU? I think the answer is absolutely. I, I think that ASU and... Um, I, I mean, it's not a slam dunk, but Adam, I we're we're beating Utah. I am so I sick like of Utah. Your head's at. It's we're, we're we're beating Utah, and we've seen this before. And it goes back to 2015. It's not that distant of a memory, but it's happened on on Senior Night in 2015. A new Solomon came back, right? And everyone knows I'm the last living a new Solomon apologist. But this is more about that team and how the season got derailed and they rebounded. People got healthy and they took care of business. Um, a new Solomon actually, of course, exited with that game with a, a concussion through the touchdown. Zero. Yeah, and that thing Overtime. was smoked. That thing would had lots and lots of mustard on it. But that is how Gerard Randall throws the ball. He knows one speed. But anyway, so that was yeah, Utah. I'm I'm 100 on that. 
the Washington one in my mind too, though, and this is where I think that I probably talked myself in a nine and three, which is still kind of a long <laughs> shot. But the Washington bit to me, you know, there is something to the desert dogs thing, right? Like they, for some reason, doesn't matter if they're in Tucson or Tempe, they they seem to struggle when they come down here. And Jacob Eason, the 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 Georgia transfer, is going to fill in for. For Jake Brown, who I, I mean, I think that you know Jake Brown has re- really hampered that team last year because um, that team should have done a lot better than it mm-hmm. did because that defense was probably you know, Peterson's best defense since he's been there. But anyway, that's besides the point. I, I really think that that's on the table for Washington. SC, you know, Todd Helton, they're kind of on the fritz. I, I, I don't know. I don't trust Todd Helton. Uh, I know that they're more talented, but they're always more talented. It necessarily mean it's a slam dunk. Um, it's we have a really interesting schedule. We know it's backloaded just because those first five games are, I mean, very interesting, right? Like even if, even if you looked at those first five games and said, oh yeah, let's compare them to the last five games. Like, oh yeah, the first five are, you know, just those first five teams are relatively to just all other teams. I feel like in college football, those are, don't seem like, you know, oh crap, like oh, we might struggle there. Those feel like winnable games, right? Well, they are, but that also goes back to U of A being pretty good themselves. <laughs> Yeah, like, who are we? Right, like, yeah. And that's the thing. I don't think we understand. Like, Arizona, again, they were how many games within a touchdown? Four of the losses were within, like, a few points. So it's, it's not definitely like they three, were, yeah. And, like, and that, that's football. Most games are probably going to be pretty close. Just do you make the plays at enough plays to win? And last year, Arizona didn't. But they mm-hmm. were a field goal away from beating ASU. They were probably one J.J. Taylor fumble at the goal line away from beating UCLA. And just like that, now you have a seven-win season. You know, they, they were close against BYU. They were, came back and made it close against USC. Like, that happens. So if you want to tell me that teams like Washington or Stanford or SC or Utah aren't going to be as intimidating as some think, I, I could buy that because Utah and Arizona, traditionally, not last year, but traditionally Arizona's played Utah really tough, and Utah tends to struggle in the state of Arizona as well, especially later in the season. Sure. Washington, you mentioned the Desert Dogs. Like, these are all legitimate statements and things but i just have a hard time saying like, arizona certainly not gonna be favored to win those games but if arizona wins their first five they'll be ranked in the top 25 i'm sure and you'll at least have that buzz going into the washington game and if you're five and oh going to a home game against washington you're going to be feeling pretty good about yourself you know so that the, the potential is there sure if arizona is a team we all thought they'd be last season. If Kulip Tate is out there playing like a Heisman Trophy candidate, J.J. Taylor is still running well, and the running back depth is great, and the receivers are making plays, and the defense takes another step forward, then, yeah, it's possible Arizona's going to be maybe not better than some of these tougher teams in the schedule, but at least able to compete with them and maybe come down to a play or two that they make. But as we sit here, we're recording on August 13th, uh, like a week and a half before week zero, or a week minus one. Minus one, I, Adam. I, I, I can't get behind that quite. But, yeah, that's, I guess when you say best-case scenario, that's the thing. Everything goes right, then, yeah, Arizona could beat USC. They could beat Washington at home. They could beat Utah at home. But that's why what makes it the best-case scenario because mm-hmm. it's not as likely. But, yeah, there's, there's room there for more wins if Arizona's better than most people think. Yeah. No, I, I think that's fair. Um, but I think, I mean, it, it's – Seven and five, I'm with you 100%. That that feels like the most likely scenario. When we're talking like nine or ten wins last season, and now we're down to seven, and be like, that'd be good. We'll take seven. Well, I mean, we should have known better, so really the joke was on us. Yeah, no, right? it's all right. <laughs> that's, that's fine. We got caught up in the hype. A lot of people did. doesn't make it better. doesn't make it hurt any less, but nope. it just... 
we, we got we got caught up in it and I'll own it. That's fine. And as a result, I have adjusted my expectations this year. Right. And theoretically, this team should be better than what it was last year, too. So, um, yeah. Right. So those, those, it's beneficial. So. All right, Adam. Well, so I think at this point um, we are probably back on full time, meaning weekly duty. So I know, as, as I mentioned, we're going to be picking up uh, next week. We'll have a special guest next week. Uh, that'll be a surprise until then. Um, but we will definitely talk Arizona football uh, in the capacity of, of the entire season and what expectations should be as the fan uh, to our special guest. And then we'll also jump in and preview um, Hawaii. And I know also too more to come as far as announcements go for the, for the Megapod for those of you who listened last year, uh, thank you for listening because I think it was probably something like, I mean, at least like two hours of us just talking about over unders uh, of the teams, but, um, that, 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 that takes true dedication and we certainly appreciate it. Uh, we will be recording another one of those here coming up shortly. So I know, uh, Bryant and Rob will be posting that on the Twitter handle. So keep an eye out for that. Um, until next week, bear down.